0: going to hit the ground running guys because we don't have much time this is a great panel so i want to jump right in let's first start with some quick round of introductions so uh mike let's start with you buddy let's do a quick intro
1: hey mike dudas uh managing partner at six man ventures uh we're an early stage firm investing primarily in crypto applications and you know, we invest in equity and, and token rounds uh from precede series A.
0: thanks robbie
2: um hi uh, I'm Robbie Jung, and I am the CEO of Animoca Brands, um, and we are a maker of games, Web3 games, um, and we're also one of the most active investors uh, in Web3, and not just games, but across everything in the sector.
0: Got it. Great. Uh, Kim, welcome. Just a quick intro. Hey.
3: Hey, guys. I'm Kim from Bagman's Ventures, early stage uh, crypto fund, um, where Ecosystem Agnostic, we recently launched uh, earlier last year, and yeah, invest in across DeFi, infra, and consumer.
2: All right, wonderful. Fern?
4: Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Dialing in from rainy LA, you know, us Californians are a little sad today. Um, I'm Fern Gouveia, I run a fund called Compa, it's also uh, focused on crypto, it's a $20 million fund, mostly early stage, investing in both... um, tokens and equity as well
0: okay great guys I, i'm really excited to dig in today so i'm gonna just jump in i'm gonna start uh, you know start with some questions here let's start with uh you know Kim, real quick what metrics or or indicators do you look for in a crypto company when you're looking at uh investing in their tokens or equity what are the the key kpis you're looking for
3: yeah i would say um like it probably varies from project to project based on the niche. For example, like if you're looking at an NFT like gaming project, probably look at like active users, et cetera, versus DeFi where it'll be like TVL. Um, and I could probably say what is the metric not to look at. And a lot of that is in alignment with the airdrop farmer um, type metric. And I do think like TVL is not the best one. Um, but it's probably the closest that we have so far. Um, but just like in general, when we're assessing projects, we typically look for the better teams because we always, you know, most projects probably going to pivot in some form or fashion. So I think having that foundational layer of like very strong team, um, competent in that nature. Um, and I know that's not a metric, um, but yeah, I would say team is probably the number uh, number one thing that we look at.
0: Cool, cool. Um, and, and Robbie, quick question for you. Like, the market's obviously very volatile. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've had some ups and downs, especially over the last year or so. How does the volatility, uh, you know, kind of impact your investment strategy, both sure. your short-term and long-term? How do you think about that?
2: I think... Um I tend to look at it with two hats on because we invest off the balance sheet strategically. Um and we also have a venture fund. So we invest as a sort of traditional sort of VC with a with a five to seven year time horizon. Um I think in either case, frankly, we're looking at long term investments because we're obviously um as for anybody who knows us, we're we're long term, you know, believers in the sector and and we're just here to build. So I think um, you know. We just think about really a lot of the things that Kim was talking about. You know, focusing on finding teams we like, um, and I think also, um, you know, teams that really understand um, the impact of Web three on their business. Because obviously, there are a lot of great teams out there who are relatively new to Web three, and I think that it does require a, a shift of mindset. Um, and and understanding how to take full advantage of all the things Web3 can give you. Um, But I do think that these are interesting times because as an investor, obviously we have this ability to then balance both equity investing and token investing and find ways to unlock value in businesses um, through both of those channels.
0: Yeah, totally. And Mike, just to, to talk a little bit about another unique component of, of crypto investing specifically, what's your approach when you're thinking about investing in a token that has governance responsibilities? Um, you know, ones that like in terms of participating in a DAO, for example. How do you how do you assess that 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 the the decision? Um, and how do you think about your role or level of participation that's needed?
1: Good question. So. Um the yeah you know, the general framework is it's hard to put a value on governance rights uh, alone right but but certainly um, you know we've seen a we've seen a willingness in the market uh, for folks to you know put a value that's reasonably high on tokens that had you know, purely governance rights but no other you know, specific value accrual method or function. Uh, as long as the protocol was seen as valuable, and the assumption there is that uh, you know those governance rights are a precursor to allowing you uh, to, as a you know as a collective, as a DAO or as a group of token holders with governance rights, to in the future, for example, introduce as you know c- call it you know shareholders and executives and folks with um, you know voting rights in traditional corporations could introduce uh, you know different systems or value accrual methods into their companies. Um, anyway, in the protocol world, you know, to me to date, I think you know, governance value has probably been overvalued, and, and we saw pretty, you know, we've seen sharp resets in some of the sort of like V1 DeFi protocols that never really had significant uh, fee accrual but had you know, pure governance rights. So I think you know, this go around, uh, tokens are very versatile things and that's one of their you know, really significant advantages in my mind uh, versus equity. And, you know, I really hope that folks will be pairing governance rights with other, you know, value accrual and value mechanisms, things like bootstrapping the networks, um, you know, in dpen for example, you know, working to secure tokens, um, you know, in DeFi protocols, accruing fee value to token holders, things like that. But yeah, I, I view governance rights as a standalone as something the market has valued, but I think in the future, if those governance rights don't turn into other forms of value, we'll, we'll we're not going to see the same, you know, fulsome value for those things.
0: Sure, sure. Now, in, in terms of uh, determining valuations, as we just were t- talking about briefly, like what? How do you determine reasonable valuations or growth projections in such a you know rapidly moving and, and rapidly evolving space? How do you think about that?
1: Ah, uh, me or others. So, so I'll go quickly.
0: Yeah, I was going to mention Adam, but yeah, Mike, if you want to touch it quickly,
1: I'll go really quickly. Right now, we're in a highly memetic phase with a very small number of business and consumer users. So, I think memetic value is is re- and brand value is driving you know wildly out of um, proportion value relative to underlying call it like protocol value. Sorry,
5: Adam, to steal your question. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, no worries at all, yeah. I mean, for us, we have a unique perspective because we invest um, you know in web three on a short crypto, but also web two from a struct capital perspective. Um, you certainly can't do a discounting cash flow analysis uh, for crypto protocols. So it is tough. You know, I think we obviously try and look at various KPIs like total value locked or just something that can show us that people are actually building on the protocol. Um, at the end of the day, though, a lot of these tokens are trading together. So what we'll try and do is sort of benchmark, a specific entry point maybe versus another token that you know we believe is trading at a statistically significant valuation that we can you know sort of sort of rely on but it, it is very very difficult i think for us the way that we uh sleep at night is we just try and get into projects uh, really really early so the assumption is if you're adding value um you know it's going to be worth more uh, than your entry point but it, it's definitely tough to value crypto generally
0: No doubt. No doubt about it. Hey, Fern, uh, can you talk a little bit about your, um, like what is your diligence process when it comes to like assessing a protocol or, you know, some kind of one of these, you know, a new, you know, algorithmic crypto project. Tell me a little bit about how you guys think about the diligence process there.
4: Yeah. So, I mean, it, it really varies. I mean, now you have so many narratives going from, let's say the monolithic infrastructure with what's going on with Solana or to more of the modular thesis. I mean, it's, there's so many different ways that you can kind of take this into account. At the end of the day, it's really about what is this project trying to accomplish? Is it something that's more on the infrastructure layer or the consumer layer? Are they are they building things that ultimately are going to touch retail users or is it for businesses? So it's it's hard to really say one method that works for everyone, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's it comes back to what Kim said at the beginning. Are the teams obsessed with what they're building? Are are they do they have a sense of, you know, the vision that they're chasing, but also they're flexible enough to pivot, right? Because you 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 may have an idea of something you want to launch today and it's going to take you six months to a year to build it out. And are you willing to kind of change things as the, as the market evolves? But also to the point that Adam made is like, you, you got to compare to similar projects to get a sense of where these things are, are going because ultimately, you know, Something gets popular on on Twitter and then all of a sudden it looks like it's way more valuable compared to everything else. So you kind of just take things on their own and just build out your thesis that way.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and Kim, let me uh, ask you a little bit about uh, like specific areas is there a particular area right now where you think is really like a fertile ground for new entrepreneurs to come in and build, you know, create new models that, you know, there's really not a lot of people attacking yet that you're just like itching to see more, more development in?
3: Yeah, so I'm a bit biased because I'm from Barbados, like a very emergent region. So I think that region is still uh, yet to be developed. There's so many like very cool teams working on certain problems but because you know it doesn't have pontinomics it doesn't have like all these other things that make it interesting for crypto twitter it doesn't reach that surface um but i think that's probably one of like the most exciting opportunities and there's probably going to be like a huge arb in terms of valuation um for investors because you'll find like very low valuation projects um, because they don't have like these nice narratives that could target um, like the crypto natives guy, guys. Um, so my, my point is, I feel like emerging markets, they were probably create like the killer consumer app. Because mm-hmm. like for these markets, crypto is like less of, okay, like privacy is cool and whatnot, but like financial access is like a fundamental problem. Um, and that's like kind of what DeFi solves. So I think that's probably like one of the um, the biggest opportunity. I think we've seen like payments is probably like the number one thing. Stable coins have found like product market fit and kind of now tapping into like how can De- DeFi solve a lot of like the systematic uh, issues in these regions is probably one of the biggest opportunities in my opinion.
0: Yeah, totally. Uh, that's, definitely re- that's definitely a fair assessment. Um, Robbie, uh, Like looking back at your, you know, career investing uh, in crypto projects, you know, you guys have invested Mm -hmm. in a lot of different businesses, you know, what are some of like, tell me about like what you've taken away or what's actually like surprised you from a successful crypto investment and like what kind of shocked you or kind of took you, you know, something that took off maybe that you didn't expect or, you know, what were some of the takeaways from successful investments you've made so far?
2: (laughs) Um, I'm not sure anybody saw Axie Infinity coming. (laughs) um because because i think it just it 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 scaled heights we didn't even imagine were possible to be honest and i mean we came from the mobile game industry with with companies like king and you know supercell and people who created billion dollar franchises but but even that took them a year or two (laughs) um and and so i think um definitely there were some of those um i think you know for me, what I'm really excited about these days is seeing teams actually really starting to lean into harnessing some of the network effects that web three does really well, and thinking about building token interoperability between their projects, whether that's in the form of, you know, games with playable NFTs, or it's just, you know, fungible ERC20 tokens being able to be used back and forth through DeFi mechanics or other types of mechanics, but really figuring out because you know we come from mobile gaming, so all we think about is user acquisition. That's kind of how we see the world, and so mm-hmm. everything is building a user acquisition funnel of one way, one type or another. And I think um, Web3 does that really well, but we didn't see many projects that were kind of either built that way or mature enough um, a couple of years ago. Um, to really see that demonstrated in practice, and now we see stuff out there like you know in the gaming space. Obviously, Pixels has been going gangbusters over the last couple of months, mm-hmm. and I think that's due to bringing in all these different elements of Web three and and executing them nicely.
0: Yeah, and so it, it's funny because a lot of companies are all about hiding Web three almost these days. Like, how do I hide Web three? Or and you know it tends to be the ones that almost lean into it the most that yeah. actually really take off the most in, in a lot of these cases, at least take off in in, in comparable in comparison to what Web3 capacity for taking off is.
5: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm, absolutely. And, and I thought it was interesting that if you look at their trajectory at the beginning of December, a lot of it was about, oh, do they have a lot of bots in there? Are the user numbers real? And so they decided to be really transparent about their numbers. And that's also very much a Web3 characteristic. And they leaned into it. And I think people respected them for it
0: absolutely Uh, adam what are the uh like emerging technologies or trends within the blockchain space right now that you know you guys are focusing on that you're excited about that you're uh you know kind of digging into for token investments
5: um yeah so we um we're definitely excited about an investment that we made uh in a modular blockchain uh called eclipse um they're leveraging the solana virtual machine for transaction execution um, celestia for data availability um, and, and just generally, I think have, have uh, they're also you know sort of writing into Ethereum to take advantage of sort of decentralization there. So from a security perspective, so we think um, sort of modular blockchains that can uh, you know, really tailor to a very specific um, ICP or buyer persona and can maybe get the best of both worlds um, from sort of mixing and matching um, various aspects of settlement and trade execution and, and data availability is, is pretty interesting. Um, we, uh, we've been spending a lot of time, um, also with just various, like skeuomorphic concepts, so trying to use, um, web two companies that have hit escape velocity, if there are sort of like web three counterparts. Um, what I will say though, it's still something that we're struggling with from a, a web three perspective is, uh, just general, like willingness to pay. Um, if you don't have a token and you're sort of like a vertical SaaS solution, um, and you're trying to execute on like a unit economic positive sales motion, it becomes really hard when, uh, you know, you, uh, you sign you the labs and it's like a 2K ACV. Um, I'm still waiting for things to change uh, from that perspective. Um, but yeah, I think generally um, right now, I'm very interested in, in layer two roll ups, um, anything on the security side, whether it's a B motion or B 2 C motion, I still think uh, there's major issues there preventing sort of mass adoption um, and, you know, we, we just like anyone that's bringing true core technology innovation to the table that we can sort of really wrap our brains around and then, uh, you know, sort of understand, you know, a, a specific use case for why value would uh, would accrue to the token.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. And Fern, when we talk about tokens really quickly, like, can you tell me your thoughts on token economics and how you evaluate the, you know, the pros and cons of diff- different types of, you know, token distribution models, etc.?
4: Yeah, so I've been spending a lot of time with this because there's a lot of teams that are now at the point. And can you build some sort of rewards program that kind of gives you an idea of how the token distribution is going to work? Um, but at the end of the day, you got to think that whether it's a rewards-based program or you know an airdrop or tokens that you're going to make available to users, at the end of the day, it's it's really about creating incentives. And that's just designing a system that, Drives users to do things that you want to do within your protocol, your product, whatever it is, behaviors that will lead to either you making money or leading to more engagement or referrals and things like that. And so ultimately, can we tie all these things together to allow the project to continue to grow, not just in terms of token price, let's say, which can go up and down based on various factors that have nothing to do with the project itself, but looking at it from a traditional point of view of can this business work and how can the token basically support what this business wants to accomplish and what it wants its users to do or its customers to do? And so tying all that together is kind of where I think we're leading to now as we enter this, hopefully as we enter this next bull market.
0: So uh, next, that makes, I completely agree. Um, okay. Like, I, you know, I guess this question, I'm, I, I want to ask to both Adam and Mike quickly, like when you think about Determining the right to ha- times, you know, traditional venture capital, we're basically told when to sell, <laughs> and uh, you know, we invest. Someone sells their company, or it goes public, and then we're then that's our opportunity for liquidity. You know, in this market, it's a little bit different. You know, how have you determined the right time or conditions to liquidate a token investment, or like are there specific triggers or you know indicators that you rely on? I'll start with Adam real
1: quick
5: yeah so it's it's really difficult. Um, you know I think generally for us um, we're running an open-ended evergreen fund um, that takes a venture style approach to generating alpha. So typically for us you know we're coming in really early you know we're obviously adding value to the company waiting for there to be a token generation event you know the tokens vesting, and then we're kind of making an independent um, investment decision after um, we've achieved that liquidity to ask ourselves, know are we comfortable with sort of where the project is going and should we make it a core holding of our liquid position or should we take you know sort of capital off the table um i think i think as of late um just given the the volatility not just in the crypto markets but just venture as a whole we've definitely erred on the side of you know wanting to take um you know sort of take profits take capital off the table um, and sort of preserve um you know just sort of you know small to medium to you know wins for our for our lps um you know if if that we feel like you know we've had a really good cadence with the project the founders are responsive they want to be coached um, they're they're sort of hitting their deadlines from a product roadmap perspective you know pushing new features and we believe in sort of the long-term viability we will then make it a core holding and, and hold well past sort of our vesting period is, is finalized um, it, it, again, it's, it's hard, um, to give you like a very specific heuristics based diligence, um, yeah. paradigm that we would use because if it's like a vertical SaaS solution with no token, it's going to be a lot different than a protocol that's, you know, solely relying on, on a token. Um, generally for us, you know, it, it's really about sort of working with management teams for a while and actually feeling like they're building for the right reasons. That's usually, you know, a, a very strong signal that's going to keep us, uh, in a bullish mindset.
1: Yeah. Mike, what do you, how do you talk about the mechanics maybe? So the first thing is, you know, you'll, you really want to make sure that you're having a dialogue uh, with the uh, project leadership and, you know, whether it's a company, a protocol, you name it. uh, And, you know, the community Uh, obviously, you know, there, there have been, there's been a history we'll call it of quote unquote, you know, dumping or unexpected selling or things where folks who have a significant token position, I mean, these you know, public blockchains can really impact a project uh, if selling is done in a way that, you know, is unexpected or, um, you know, just misunderstood. So that's the first thing is like this is like any other type of investing. It's a partnership between you as the investor and and the folks that that you're working with. Uh, in terms of you know how we think about you know whether or how long to hold a position or or you know, sell a position in what portion, I, I don't want to speak to like really deep specifics, but you know for, we think about a couple of things, really two big categories. One's macro. You know, where are we in the in the you know sort of called crypto cycles? Where are we in, you know, there's, there's there's sort of bullish cycles and there's bearish cycles. And you obviously want to uh, you know, sell into bullish cycles uh, historically. Uh, and that's, you know, we're probably entering our fourth such cycle or so. So, you know, it's worth looking at history um, and it likely repeats. Uh, then there's just macro outside of crypto factors is there liquidity you know are people buying are they interested in these products so that's sort of macro stuff Uh, and then the other macro one is just like regulatory considerations and things of that nature that could impact uh the token price and then there's company specific stuff so you're just thinking about the product category do we expect that product category and i I said earlier you know a lot of valuation is memetic so we're looking uh right now in this market still it's really hard to point to fundamental value for, for a large number of, of tokens. So we're kind of just thinking, how is the, how do we think, let's say, um, you know, folks who are investing in this envi- in this current environment and call it the next, you know, 10X people who will come, what are they going to value? And so you'll look at themes, right? Things like AI, wow. things like D-PIN, and, and, you know, maybe you might want to hold, for example, themes that, that will grow more than other things, all else being equal. And then within the category, are they a category leader? Are they growing? Are they, you know, now we're actually getting to the business fundamentals um, or protocol fundamentals. Are they a category leader? Is it defensible? You know, things like network effects and all the traditional things you'd look for. Um, it, takes really a,
0: it takes a while to get to the business fundamentals part of that answer.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, it's and, and that, it was intentional. I realized it, but it really, really is. So it's, it's like black magic right now.
0: Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm <in a> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Robbie, can you talk a little bit about um, how you think about your strategies regarding like token staking and yield farming, and like mm-hmm. how does that, how does that, like, how do you think about that in terms of like risk management or return optimization? Like, how does that play a role in your thinking?
2: Sure. Um, Well, I guess we're fortunate because having a little bit of scale, we have, you know, some people on staff who are much smarter than me to think about those particular Mm -hmm. issues. Um, So we do do our own treasury management um, in-house. But I think I do recommend, you know, I'd say in the portfolio, probably the biggest cohort are game companies. Um, And I do recommend you know, game companies when they're reasonably new to Web3 to think about some of those other mechanics like staking and offering certain kind of, you know, um, whether they're overtly Web3 mechanics or they're couched in the language of gaming. um, I do think that that's, these things can really appeal um, to player constituencies and i think it's important to balance those constituencies because i think game makers tend to look at the world in kind of a binary way you're either building a web 3 game or a web 2 game with web 3 infrastructure but actually i think neither of those is the whole story you're actually just building a web 2 game and adding a new like new infrastructure, but also new cohorts of people who appreciate web three characteristics. So you're basically just making your job harder because you're adding yet another layer on top of the cake, um, because you need to provide something for everybody. You need your DeFi DGens to find something appealing about your game, but you also need the people who are just there for the action in the game, for example, to find something appealing about it. And if you focus too much on one or the other, you're missing out on a big addressable market, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and Fern, I'm going to ask that kind of question similar to you as well. As an investor, how how do you think about your, you know, do you partake in various different token staking and yield farming activities? Like, is that part of your 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 return profile? Uh, How how heavy is the think about the risk there? Tell me a little bit about that.
4: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, as an asset class, crypto's already relatively risky, right? And so you need to consider the trade-off. So. For for my fund, what we do is we'll provide you know we'll participate in liquidity pools or stake tokens in projects we've invested in, but when it comes to let's say earn an additional yield on the capital we have, I tend to to be relatively conservative there and stay away from those things. I mean, because you got to balance the yield you can capture against some of the risks that you have, right? So. Take for example, if you stake Ethereum, just as an example, you might get three and a half percent. If you stake Solana, you might get you know close to nine percent. So, but it's still within single digits, right? On the other hand, you have things like uh, you know wallet risk, so you can get fished. You can have smart contract risk, platform risk, impermanent loss risk, right? So slashing risk. There's a lot of things you need to consider there, and because we're running funds that in some cases are up to a decade you don't want to invest in a project stake and then wherever you stake gets blown up for whatever reason you lose that money where you could just ride the token all the way up and so in in my case i mean I'm, i'm a very i run a very small team so um i don't have individuals like maybe within robbie's company that are dedicated to this so i usually just tend to think long term once I deploy capital into a project, try to just keep it in the safest place and not get involved in in staking or yield farming.
0: Understood. Understood. Hey Kim, when you w- when you work with the crypto portfolio companies, where do you find the most like common challenges or like areas where they need support that you that you have to like, you know, your team has to weigh in and kind of really provide that extra, that extra ability to support them.
3: Yeah, I think probably the most common one is on communications and marketing for lack of better word here. Um, a lot of the smart builders, they kind of just want to keep their heads down and focus and build, but they also know that you've got to communicate. You've got to be out there to like build traction. Um, I think this is like one of our strong suit at Bankless Ventures, like helping them with like narrative shaping, communications, etc. cetera. Um, and I think with this we also help with the trust component because like you know having a bunch of followers on twitter um and all the all these users like tend to not matter if you have like a low trust score and so really helping them with uh building this trust score via like uh communications is um like how we support most of our port codes and then the next is on hiring i think one of the great things that we've seen with our uh portfolio uh founders is that they understand the importance of that. And this is like one mistake I've made when I was founder, like I didn't understand how important it was to hire uh, great people. Um, And so they get that. And so we've been helping a lot with, um, yeah, hiring and communications
0: got it got it guys uh we are right at six o'clock and i don't want to keep you guys over i really appreciate all of your time we uh this is the grand finale of day one of the rbv summit <laughs> and i i couldn't have shared it with a better group of people so thank you guys i really appreciate you participating and uh i'll uh and i'm gonna this the recordings will be there we'll share them with you everybody but thank you again really appreciate thank it you.
4: thank, thank you. you thank you thanks, thanks everyone
0: This has been a Redbeard Ventures production.